Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Hope. I'm Pastor Tom. It's good to have you with us as we worship God together here today. Uh, First of all, if you have any prayer requests or if you are visiting with us, we encourage you to fill out this piece of cardstock that was in the bulletin. If you didn't get one, there's some by the door. And uh, let us know how we can be in prayer for you. Uh, or if you're visiting, just give us a little little info, and we will follow up accordingly. Um, let's see, several things going on around here. First of all, if you are Zooming in, you, have, you should have received by email through our online portal uh, this lesson plan for Hope for Kids today. The kids are following along the sermon series through the book of Isaiah with us, and we have some very creative and fun uh, ways for them to engage God's word. So encourage you to print that out and follow along and at least use some of the scriptures that are there to um, guide your conversations at home. Um, what else? Let's see. We have every Tuesday night, we have a Tuesday night Bible study because you wouldn't want to have that on Wednesday night. That would be weird. Thank you. Somebody laughed. All right. Ta-dum. My drummer sat down. I'm no good. Um, but uh, that's Tuesdays at 7, and we are also following along through the book of Isaiah. We mix it up every once in a while, take a little creative uh, angle on things, and uh, so this week we will be um, looking back at chapter 12, which we'll, we'll study this morning, um, and then we will also look forward through the next 12 chapters or so um, and try to make sense out of that section of the book on Tuesday night. So I encourage you to zoom in if you have any interest there. Um, what else? Let's see. Youth group should be meeting tonight at 5.15 on Zoom for a workshop. We're getting ready for our summer youth sermon series. And so that will be, the, well, if you're in the youth group, you'll get the memo. You'll get the text and whatever and just... Zoom in, and we will uh, keep you on track for that. Um, Let's see. Ah, chili cook-off. It's happening. A week from today, um, I don't see anyone from the Lester family here, but a new champion will be crowned. That was aimed at Juliana. Um, So... Uh, we do have a few needs remaining in the chili cook-off. I will send out another email to everyone tomorrow, hopefully. Um, How about this week? Yeah, sometime early this week, theoretically. Uh, But um, as of right now, we need five more chili entries. Make it four, because I still haven't signed up. But I'm in. I'm I'm all in. and then we need some more. There's, you can sign up to bring some shredded cheese or some sour cream. I don't know who would want that on their chili, though. That's weird. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe your chili needs Fritos, Carl. Um, but uh, we need some more cornbread entries. That's not a contest, although we can make it a contest. I'm happy to do that. I'll be the judge. Um, and then a few more miscellaneous side dishes. Like, you know, if you're a healthy person and you want something green at the chili cook-off, I would suggest bringing it. (laughs) Just a thought, you know. Fruit, you are on your own. All right. 
somebody asked me one time, what do you use as a thickener in your chili? And I was like, um, meat? <laughs> All right. Uh, and then we could always use some more uh, desserts. And there's a, there's a rumor circulating that Pebby might make her chocolate carrot cake again uh, for the occasion. Yeah, there was one. Like, that's... And there was much rejoicing, yes. All right. Okay, what am I forgetting? There's a women's book study tonight. Um, that starts at 5 o'clock right here. Um, you need to contact my wife if you're interested in doing that. Her name is Kathy. She's lovely. Um, and uh, it's, it's filling up. So maybe it's filled up. But anyway, talk to her if you want to join in that. Um, but that starts tonight. It'll go for about seven weeks and uh, encourage you to participate if you can. We have a men's night coming up this Friday night. Uh, there will be food and fellowship and probably some fire if the weather cooperates um, and just some good uh, discussion around some scripture and life and that kind of thing. So I encourage you to come by Friday night. We will get here around 5 and start cooking, prepping, setting out tables and chairs, whatever. Um, and then food will is served around 7-ish. I know this isn't very military, Joe. It's not like 7 on the dot. It's just that's kind of an idea as to when we will eat. Does that make sense? It's hard. I know it's hard for you. 1900-ish. I don't think they ever, no one in the military ever said ish after, after a time, I don't think. Am I, am I right, Ralph? Okay. All right, so we're just going to, you know, for those military folks, we're just going to force you to deal with it. It'll be good for you. Hurry up and wait. That's right. Now that, the Army can do that. They can do the hurry up and wait. But it, they're going to do it on time. Yes. You got to be 15 minutes early or you're late, but then you got to wait an hour and a half to start whatever your commander wants to do, and that's just, yeah. That's how it works. All right. Where were we? Men's night. Am I forgetting anything? What? Blueprint, save the date. That's our youth summer trip. Um, and we probably have uh, like 10 youth-ish. So we need adults and college students and others to join and participate. So check that out. Put that on your calendar. We would love to have you join us for that. It's actually um, quite an enriching week. So that's in June. Dates are there. Did, are they in the bulletin? What are the dates? You know more than me. That's not surprising. Okay, June 12th through 16th. We start on a Sunday. We go down to Blueprint. They've got dorms and a cafeteria and we stay there until Friday. And then we go back to our own showers, which is a glorious day. It really is. Okay. So if you're interested, please let us know. And just for now, save the date. Why don't we have all of the important people in the room come down to the front? If you are in fifth grade or younger, we invite you down for the children's chat at this time. How are you girls? Doing all right? I love those smiles. So, let's see. 
That's a pretty bow. You can't stop looking at it. <laughs> it's a beautiful dress. Did your mom get that for you? Because I... What? Okay. I'm pretty sure your dad didn't pick it out because it really looks good. Yeah. Yeah. That's what moms are for. They're good to have. Okay. So um, I want to read to you from the Bible. This is from the book of Isaiah. And I want you to tell me what it says. It says, give thanks. What did it say? Give thanks. To whom should we give thanks? To Jesus. So this says, give thanks to you, O Lord. I will give thanks to you, O Lord. And then I want you to hear this. It says, I will trust. What, what does it say? I will trust. Who are we supposed to trust? Jesus. And I will not be afraid. How is it that that we cannot be afraid because God is always with us, right? The Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation, right? And then it says, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. So, we're supposed to give thanks. We're supposed to trust God, right? We're to know that he is our strength. Can you, you got any muscles down there? Show me your muscles. No, you're not showing me your muscles? Well, that's okay. God is your strength. You don't even need muscles. You got God, right? So he is your strength and your salvation, which means that he loves you. He forgives you. And he's going to keep you in his family forever. That's pretty awesome. Am I wrong? Yeah. No, that's exactly it. So God wants you to know that he loves you, that you can rest in his strength, that he has you in his hands, not just for now, but for how long? Two weeks? Forever. That's even better. All right, let me pray for y'all before you go to Hope for Kids. <laughs> Dear God, thank you for these precious girls and the gift that they are to our lives and to your church. We pray your blessing over them as they study more of your word in Hope for Kids today. Fill them with your Holy Spirit and lead them into a deeper understanding of your love for them through your son, Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great time in Hope for Kids. You're going to have fun today. You're going to have fun, because I know your teacher. Is, Jen, is today the day that they explode the goo out of the water bottles? Okay, yeah. They're going to they're gonna come back pumped and maybe a little messy in that beautiful dress. <laughs> It'll stay, will it wash out? Yes. We can, the Hope, Hope Church can provide some OxyClean next week. So, all right. Jesus washes us. There's a, there's a sermon there somewhere. All right. Will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word today? God, our loving Father, we thank you 
that you give us this time and place to come together in your name to worship you through song, through prayer, through the meditations of our hearts, to worship you through your word, to not only uh, hear from you, but to call out of us that which you desire uh, to be made manifest in our hearts and in our lives as your children. And Lord, as we come before you and open your word today, we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us through your holy word, that you would grow us and change us according to your will. And Lord, we lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We give you our sins and disappointments, and we thank you for the forgiveness and compassion that are ours through your son, Jesus Christ. We lift before you those relationships in our lives that are strained, and we pray for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift before you those who grieve, and we pray that you would comfort them. We also lift to you, Lord, those whom we know and love who are sick or recovering from medical procedures or facing uncertain diagnoses. We pray your healing mercies upon your people. We think especially of Yolanda Clifton and just pray for continued healing for her post-op. We lift up Joshua Johnson to you. We thank you for the progress that you have made in his healing and recovery. And we pray your continued hand of healing over him as he returns to school and, and resumes uh, life as a normal 20-something. We just pray that you would be with him at every step. And Lord, we um, lift before you others that we know and love who are sick, and we just pray your healing mercies over them. Lord, we thank you for this country, for the freedoms which we enjoy as Americans, and we pray for our leaders at every level of government, elected and appointed, and we ask that you would give them wisdom and discernment for the decisions that are before them. We lift up our men and women in uniform who serve to protect and defend our Constitution. We ask that you would watch over them and keep them safe. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way and ask that you would return them home safely. And Lord, we lift up those military veterans who have returned home changed as a result of their service to our country. We pray your healing and your peace over their hearts, bodies, and souls. And Lord, we ask that you would use us, your church, to minister that grace to each of them and their families. And we lift up your church here at Hope and around the world this morning. We think of all of those who are worshiping you today across the globe in the celebration of the resurrection of your son from the dead that gives us hope and life. And we pray that as your church worships you, that your word would go forth through the mouths of your people and that it would not return to you empty. We pray all these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So... We are in the midst of a series of messages through the book of Isaiah. Just the book of Isaiah. No big deal. Just 66 chapters. That's all. And as we are moving through, we're, we're not trying to cover every verse of every chapter. We're trying to kind of hit the high points and give you a feel for this incredible literary work that is also part of God's word. So there's several things going on. We're, we're looking at the, at the literary composition of this material, 
through Isaiah, and we're looking at the way God is speaking both to his people in that time period as well as how God is speaking to us in our own context. And so it's important to sort of understand the, the historical context into which this, this work is written. And I'll just try to summarize it for you very quickly, uh, as complex as it is. But there's this little bitty country called Israel, and you've, you've heard of like King David and King Solomon, right? Well, after King Solomon died, this little tiny country of Israel has a civil war, and one state which held the capital, Jerusalem, is separated from the other states of Israel. And you have the country of Israel and the state of Judah now becomes its own country. And the king and the temple reside in Jerusalem, the capital of Judah. And there is civil war, there is, there's strife and conflict between these two nations who were formerly one nation. And in the midst of that, time period, there are a string of really bad kings on both sides of that divide. And when I say bad, I mean like sacrificing babies and things. They're, they're bad people. And so there's this long period of time where God's people just keep getting farther and farther and farther away from his heart. And he says, through his prophets, and Isaiah is one of those, he says basically, listen, come back to me, please, turn around. Because the, the consequences of your own sin and your separation from me are going to be harsh. You, you really don't want that. I'll, I'll let you go down that road if you so desire. But I really, if you want to know my desire, it's for you to come back to me, to the heart of God. And so... Isaiah is speaking into this context where there is a, an, an army to the north of them, there is the army of Egypt to the south of them, and there are all these tribal warfares and battles in between, and these great global powers of the time period are vying for territory. And it's just a matter of time, and Isaiah sees it, until these little postage stamps of countries are going to fall and become subject to foreign empires. And so Isaiah has prophesied so far, we're in chapter 12 this morning, he's prophesied so far that the, the coming fall of the kingdom of Israel and then the coming fall of the kingdom of Judah, the carrying off of God's people into captivity, and then he's even prophesied to tell people, when that happens, understand God's not through. When the devastation comes sweeping into the world around you, understand that God is not through with you. He's not finished. He's, he's ready to, at that point, pick you up and begin the process of restoration and reconciliation and the reestablishment of hope. And so this is the movement into which we are, we are looking. Isaiah talks about three things in his book. He talks about the separation between our hearts and the heart of God that our sin causes. He talks about the promise of salvation through one who will come to make our hearts right with God again. And then he talks of our eternal sanctuary 
via the Messiah. Did I just say that? Through the Messiah, um, via the Messiah. We've got a new catchphrase. Um, But that through this Messiah, God will bring us to a place of eternal rest and peace. And so these three themes of separation, salvation, and sanctuary are woven throughout the book. And you, could, you can see even how the different sections of the literary work have major theme of separation, which is chapters 1 through 25-ish, and then the theme of salvation, and then this theme at, towards the end of the book of our eternal sanctuary. So that's what we're looking at thematically, contextually, in, in, in the historical context. And then, of course, the ultimate question, what does it mean to me? What does God want for me? And so I'm going to read to you all of chapter 12. Don't worry, it's only six verses. Um, and you'll see, you'll see why the, the Gregorian monk that put the little verse notations, there are a few places that in the Bible that when I get to heaven, I will either ask him a question or just smack him uh, because it makes no sense at all. But this is one of those places where it, it makes perfect sense to put a separation between chapters And you'll see that in the language uh, you will say in that day. And he says that twice in this passage. Um, But let's read through Isaiah chapter 12 together, and then we'll try to ask the question, what does it mean for us? Isaiah chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout, And sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. So, I think, well, my wife is teaching children's ministry, so I'm safe because I think I'm right, but if I'm wrong, we're good. I think I've been married 28 and a half years. Um, and, of course, my wife has never given me reason to be angry with her. However, I have given her reason to be angry with me on occasion. She was correct, right? But I want to talk about that for a moment, that that anger that shows up in verses 1 and 2 of this passage. And 
the ways in which the dynamics of anger work in a marriage, in a friendship, in a parent-child relationship, in sibling relationships, in any relationships, right? There's, there's a perceived injustice, and that perception may be correct or misguided. Doesn't matter, because it's perceived. And that begins the, the unrolling of anger. And so to be clear, not all anger is bad, right? If, if you, um, you know, read of a, a report of someone harming a child and you're angry, you should be angry. That should make you angry. That's not okay, right? So injustice can have a right anger response. But then there's what we do in our anger that can really complicate the situation. And <clears throat> things that are said or things that are done, um, they're hard to unsay and they're hard to undo. And for a moment, particularly if, if you're thinking about this as someone being angry with you, for a moment, there's this feeling that this, will per, this anger will persist that this isn't going to, this is a new reality. This is a new baseline for the relationship. And it is in that position that the people of the kingdom of Judah to whom Isaiah is writing find themselves in their relationship with God at this point in history where they are not listening they are not responding, they are committing injustices, and they are invoking onto themselves God's anger. And he is correct in being angry with their insanity and selfishness and pride and sin. And God effectively says through his prophet, this is not what I want for my people. I want you to be a light of hope to all nations. I want all kinds of people to see the relationship that you have with me, and I want them to desire that connection with God as well. And Isaiah is writing this to a people who simply are not listening. And so he puts himself in their position and then he projects himself into the future to understand what, what is going to happen relationally between God's people and their God who is angry with their sin. Is it going to stay that way forever? And I'll just go back to uh, verse 1. You will say in that day, this is that projection into the future that he's doing. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you may comfort me. And so Isaiah is effectively saying this isn't an eternal reality. This is a temporal reality that our sin separates us from God. It puts us in a position of suffering from his turning away 
from our hearts. In other words, a holy God who is without sin cannot be united with people who are sinful unless someone comes to deal with that sin, and that's where we'll, we'll go in a moment. So what are we to do with our own anger towards others, with others' anger towards ourselves, uh, with God's anger toward our sin, what are we to do? So I want to take us through this passage, and I want to begin with just the simple idea that the what we are to do is we are to call upon the God who is. God reveals himself first by name to Moses, and you remember the story. There was a bush that was on fire, but it wasn't burning up. It was staying lit and whole, and it was weird. And so Moses went over, and he has this conversation with God, and he asks God, like, okay, you want me to go to Egypt and tell the king of Egypt that he's supposed to let all his slaves go? Great. What's your name, by the way? And God says, I am. That's all he says. I am. And Moses is left in a position of, oh, wow, that's kind of deep. This is the God to whom we are to turn. The God who is, the God who always has been, and the God who always will be. This eternal, whole, beautiful truth of the author of life and joy and hope. And so, we are to turn to the God who is, first and foremost, to give him thanks for his creation, for giving us life, for giving us the the blessings that we enjoy in this world. We're to give him thanks for his comfort, because only, only God himself can turn away from his anger. Let me be abundantly clear. Um, when, when my wife is angry with me, flowers are not a good idea. She sees them as some form of appeasement, right? And she doesn't take the bait. She's like, get those out of here. You're in the doghouse. And, and, I, and I need you to demonstrate that you care about what I'm angry about and that you're going to take rightful action to correct what you did wrong. Um, Only she can decide to turn away from her anger as it relates to me. There are things I can do to demonstrate that I've changed, but only she can make that decision. Only God can turn away from his own... There's nothing... I can't bring God flowers. I, I, can't, I can't throw an offering at him. I can't, um, I can't come trim the bushes at the church building. Or I can't, you know, that's not going to take away the separation that my sin causes between the heart of God and my own heart. 
And so there's this idea that Isaiah understands that God desires to turn away from his anger and change his posture toward us to one of comfort. And so we are to give thanks that the God whom we serve, he's always there. And he has a plan to deal with his anger and to provide for us comfort and peace. And so we're to give him thanks for his comfort and for his atonement. So verse 2 starts with, Behold, God is my salvation. So in Israel, in ancient Israel, at this time in Jerusalem, there was a temple. And in, in, the, in the heart of the temple, there were two things that were significant. There's, there's this inner sanctum. There's, there's two rooms there, and the back room is called the Holy of Holies. It represents the, the throne of God himself. And then just outside of that room in the inner court courtyard, outside, no roof, is a grill, for lack of a better term. It's a grill. It's literally, uh, there's a bed of coals with pieces of metal laid over it, and animals are sacrificed, and their flesh is placed on the fire. And the idea is that the aroma is one that is pleasing unto the Lord. Because it's an aroma of the offering, the recognition of God's people that they are separated from God by their sin. And they are, they are wanting to demonstrate that they care about this, that they want to be restored to the heart of God. And so this activity at the altar is all a reflection of this process of atonement, or at least of representing atonement, this atoning idea. And so, just for your own understanding, the word in this verse that says salvation is the actual same word as the name of Jesus. So, might not surprise you to learn that Jesus was Jewish. Did you know that, Wesley? You did know that, yes. Not surprising. Um, and the Jewish name for salvation, it, once you render it into multiple other languages and then into English, is Jesus. Um, it would be something more like Yeshua or Yahshua. Um, but the idea that God is our salvation, that he is the one who will provide the atonement for our sins, that he will provide the lamb that will atone for our sins. And you, you can see what's coming there, right? And I, Isaiah does too. And <clears throat> so, to call upon the God who is, who always has been, who is, and who always will be, we begin by giving him thanks for his atonement, for his comfort, and for his atonement, and we learn to trust in him. That is, to rely on his strength. In verse 2, the third line in that stanza, for the Lord God is my strength and my song. Do you see the all caps there? You see the... You, so if you're looking at this passage... Lord is in all caps, and then God is in all caps, and this is fairly unusual. 
um, to see these two words used in uh, such close proximity to each other. The first one, the first all caps, is the name that God gave to Moses, I am. And the second one is the abbreviation for the name that God gave to Moses because no good Jewish person of this time period would have pronounced the name of God for fear of breaking one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not use the Lord thy God's name in vain. So there was the, the word, the name that God gave to Moses, and then there's the abbreviation for that name, and Isaiah hits the nail twice with the same hammer, just bang, bang. That God, that mighty God, that holy God, that totality of being that is your God, that's who I'm talking about. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is a call to trust in an eternal being who is as loving as he is eternal. And he calls us to rely on him, on his strength, and he calls us to rest in his salvation. This Jesus that he will bring to bear on the souls of men. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. I read these words, and I marvel at how someone six centuries before the birth of Christ could have understood that God himself would, would be or become the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Isaiah saw somehow this miracle of grace that was coming in the Messiah. And he even uses his name. And so we are to hear these words for ourselves, to know that God, through this Messiah, God's anger against our sin will be turned away. And the Messiah is God himself, because only God himself can choose to turn away his anger from our sin. And that Messiah will come and provide the atonement that is necessary for our forgiveness. And so we are to call upon that God, that God of strength who makes our hearts sing with joy because of what he has done for us. And not only are we to call upon the God who is, but we are to shout for the joy of our salvation. Um, how do I say this? I am not the most emotionally expressive guy here or anywhere, right? The only, exp the only uh, emotion that I express well is probably anger. I can do that one pretty well. The idea of shouting for joy is, is not native to me, right? This comes from somewhere else. And yet, 
I get exactly what Isaiah is saying. That God has done something for us that has ended a war, that has ended a battle that we could not win. And we, because of what he has done through his son Jesus Christ, we can have rest. He uses in verse 3 this beautiful metaphor. I'll just read it to you. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So, in the ancient world, how often did one go to the well? Daily. Sometimes twice a day. Once in the morning, once at dusk, and you would draw the water that would allow life to be sustained for that day. I think one of the great mistakes of American Christianity is, is thinking that somehow we go to the well of salvation once. Yeah, yeah, I, I accepted Christ when I was 16 years old, right? Which I did, um, This is telling us that this is, this is daily water. That we have to go back to that well of salvation every day. Not because you're going to lose your salvation if you don't. That's, that's ridiculous. That's not the point. The point is there is this well of life and grace and sustenance that we can return to daily if we will, and that when we do, we drink again of that joy that comes with knowing that God has ended what we could not end for ourselves. And so this call to return to his grace every day, to drink in his joy, to deepen our gratitude for what he has done for us, and to declare his goodness to anyone who's listening. And Isaiah does something very restorative here. As you may remember from the book of Genesis, God told Abraham that all nations would be blessed through his lineage. The people of God had forgotten this. They had forgotten that they were supposed to be different that they were, because of, of the hope of the Messiah, they could be at rest with God and at peace with each other and a source of light and hope to the world. And instead, they're out conniving and signing treaties with foreign countries to try and outmaneuver the powers around them. And God just says, Oy vey, rest, rest. I've got this. And we are to be a people who are different, who think differently, who act differently, who react differently than the people around us because we know what it means to be forgiven. We need to return to that grace every day. And we need to spread that grace to everyone 
around us. Think about it. God does not bless you for you to keep it to yourself. That's not the point. The point of God's blessing is that it has a ripple effect throughout your life and the life of those around you. That what he is doing in you benefits those around you. And this has always been his desire. That his love, his grace, his peace just continues to roll forth into the world through his people. That we are those who are willing and able to tell others what God has done for us. And that we are those who show others that God is with us. This comes through time, through tripping and falling and messing up and forgetting who God is and what he has done for us and then realizing that he's there to pick us up, to restore us, to return us into right relationship with him and then allow us to screw it all up again. And over and over and over we go and we eventually learn, wait, I can get ahead of this. I can trust him now. I can stop trying to contrive my own means of survival in this world and trust. I can rest. And when we begin to learn these things, it's contagious. People around us see something in us that they may not see in themselves. And that leads to what God wants, which is the expansion of his love, the expansion of his kingdom, the extension of his grace into this dark and hurting world. I have two scriptures I want to share with you as we conclude. One is from a prophet you've probably not heard a lot about. Um, This is an Old Testament book, and I, I picked this clip for one reason to show you that these themes that Isaiah is developing in his opus are not unique to him. They are unique to the heart of God. And listen to how another prophet says exactly what Isaiah is trying to say. From Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What? Um, This would be like rolling into Baghdad in a Volkswagen bug as the U.S. military. Like, here we come. Mimi. What? Yeah, Russia's fixing to roll into Ukraine. That's going to be different. They're going to do that the other way. Um, What kind of king rolls in on a yearling donkey? What is going on? Isaiah sees it. Zechariah saw it. We can see it. That this king is different. 
He's not about himself. He's about us. He's about our hearts, the restoration of hope, the establishing of salvation in the heart of mankind. And so there's just one little snippet, and then our kids are are reading this verse back in the back of the building. I thought it would be good for us too. And I'm just going to close with these words. So you're going to get like two blessings today. There's this one, and then there's one at the end of the service. Will you just open your hearts, keep your heads up, let these words soak into your heart. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God, our loving Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the ways in which you revealed yourself to those who, who went before, who lived before the Messiah came, that they were able to see the hope that you held out for the world, to know that your love would conquer all, to know that they can always turn to the God who always has been, who is, and who always will be. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Taking my sin, my cross, my